I feel like it's been so long since I've had one that I'm like, how do you take care of these things? You just leave them in the window all, all year long? Blah, all year long? Sorry, that, that was the sound that was coming out of my mouth, and I went, no. But I couldn't not say it then. It was like, it's going to get stuck. Why did you do that? <laughs> now we're off to a really bad start. That... <laughs> Doing a southern accent for no reason, it enraged me just now. And, but I like... You know when like your your mouth gets stuck on the shape of a letter and then you try to say it again and it's like nope it's going to do it. it's going to happen I just have to do it the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I'm also like I only got like oh no, I got a good half hour nap but for some reason I'm feeling sleepy again so this is a little loopy. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You are you took a nap already? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many times we have to go over this. I suppose it's no longer even funny as a bit anymore but you know neither of us was up for that long today man i was awake before you i understand that you were awake before me but by before me that was 11 a.m no i had an alarm at 10 you didn't get up though i did not move for a good 45 minutes yeah i I was sending business papers though you know I was active. I was doing stuff. I think a lot of our early bird morning listeners would really object to the idea that someone that woke Sending up <laughs> at 11 a.m. would need a nap at any point. What? Why? However, I guess because we ran errands in a car, the vast majority of the time sitting down, you were particularly exhausted today. It was, it's mul- when you go to multiple locations, whoo. Just knocks knocks the wind right out of you. You just got to sit down, relax. Put I don't on, know. At put on your stories and then just kind of fall asleep with your phone on your belly. At least today we didn't get uh, stuck in traffic needlessly for hours and hours because someone that's lived in New York City for 10 years doesn't know how to get to the Williamsburg Bridge. And even when they're near it, circles the location of the bridge a minimum of three times before finally getting on the there right were, route. Listen, there were streets that were closed that should not have should have not been closed. But that didn't matter. It d- it did. Those streets being closed was entirely irrelevant to you knowing where you were going. I mean, I probably should. You shouldn't have even needed to use those streets. So whether they were open or closed, they don't factor into the equation. You were driving around perpendicular to the street you needed to be on. I mean, my problem was that I overshot and didn't turn down Essex. And then and then you overshot loop. again and made the wrong turn. Yes, I did. Even knowing, well, after being told, hey, you need to take a left. Well, I'm two lanes away, so I guess we're taking the right. Even though today, at the mere thought of going to Trader <laughs> Joe's, you zoomed across three lanes of traffic, drove all the way there, couldn't find parking, and then decided we were going to do that. <laughs> I've never, st- I've never said that I was a logical individual. No, I know. I mean, I've t- I've taken to or ye- no uh, logical, maybe rational. No, on our car trips together, I've taken to yelling at you, brain, brain. You have to turn your brain on while you're driving. It Listen, has to be cow-o, on. Listen, I don't want to hear about this. It- <laughs> <laughs> That's something no one gets. Uh, but yeah, it it genuinely seems unsafe. You're unsafe at any speed, Will. It seems like you're going to kill a pedestrian, run over somebody's grandma, hit somebody on a bike. I... Like you seem to, you seem to be napping and driving simultaneously. <laughs> no. I do so. I drive so much that so much of it is 
on autopilot and it's kind of the same patterns of traffic so when i get a curveball of like well there's a street close for for reasons on a tuesday i go i don't know what to do oh no and i start to get a little panicky for anybody that's wondering anybody that lives in new york and has driven in the city before the curveball that will is talking about is driving down second avenue and then getting to near the bridge and not knowing what to do that's the curveball. But I've done it so I've done it so many times. <laughs> well, so no, you're, many you're times. You're acting like traffic patterns are completely different or the police redirected you due to an accident. No, that is not what happened. You just drove straight, forgot where you were going, declined <laughs> to make a decision, and then yeah. started making <laughs> just, wrong ones. Yeah, just kind of went in circles. In sequence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, again, Trader Joe's. You know exactly where you are in relationship to Trader Joe's at all times. Uh, yeah. And you're willing to risk the safety of the people in your vehicle and without your vehicle. There were no cars around me. <laughs> I know there's not because you drive like a grandma. And if there were, you never would have I dared. wouldn't have even entertained. <laughs> but I, I looked in my rear view and saw free and clear. And then in front of me, nobody. I was like, all right, going to take this turn. I got to hear all about your backup grocery shopping plans. Because you have prime grocery shopping plans. And then you can't find parking. So you... Uh, Sometimes have to resort to Plan B. Oh, you act like this. Is, it's really not normal. <laughs> it's really not. No, most people would just find parking and then go to the store. I just didn't want to keep circling. I was getting to the point where I was like, I'm getting hungry. We need to get this done because Papa hasn't eaten all day. Didn't have any coffee. Was like getting a little, getting a little itchy. You only had two meals today. Is that correct? Yes. Is that why a nap was an absolute necessity? Yeah. Because you hadn't had a three hots and a cot yet <laughs> no it's because so we can't skip the cot if we're gonna skip one of the hots we gotta jump right on the no cot. it's mostly because if you don't eat and then you have a bagel with the fattest cream cheese then you're like oh we have a ticking time bomb before i have to have a carb nap mm-hmm. i guess so i don't know i'm just baffled at your you know as as our dear wet boy likes to say the body is battery and uh excuse me what yeah, I mean, this is old This is old school Trump administration news, but he believes in a Victorian theory of health. It's why he doesn't exercise. You only have a finite amount of energy over the course of your life, and you do not want to expend it unnecessarily on things so frivolous as exercise. Well, that I could maybe get down with. Yeah. But, <laughs> and know. I believe that you ascribe to the same theory, but I, I'm interested in the calibration of this battery, of your battery in particular, because it seems to require a tremendous amount of input and then a lot of downtime for very little output. First of all. Like if someone crunched the numbers on the number of like joules of energy that you were producing a day and where they went, I feel like most of them dissipate into sleep. It just seems impossible. Listen, I <laughs> when I'm very active, I'm running around getting a lot of stuff done. And then when I'm not, I'm really like extra not. And yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's I think that's, you know, good. You got to like work hard and nap harder. Yeah, it's the work part. I don't know. I don't need to beat a dead horse anymore, but mm, okay. All right. We'll just we'll just you table this conversation for now. You can't berate me for working too much and then I shouldn't have said table much. the conversation, should I? Cuz now you're thinking about food. No. <laughs> I don't associate furniture with food for Christ's sake. Good god. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. You never eat at the table. What? You just eat with your grubby little fingers standing over the stove because I'm you can't <laughs> wait to plate the food and bring it somewhere else. I'm or you eat on the couch and the meatball sub just falls all over your shirt while you fall asleep taking a nap. <laughs> <Let's>... 
too tired. Like I'm sorry, too, folks. Yeah, we're we're a little we're I'm both too tired a little to be loopy quippy, today. But like, a first of all, have I ever eaten a meatball sub? The answer, no. Not a thing that I've ever done. I don't know why you would lie. <laughs> it's not a lie. It's obviously a lie. No. Anybody I, I, that knows you knows you've had one. I don't. Specifically fuck. from Subway too, and you just <laughs> probably sublimated it. Like you eating a bad Subway sandwich is something you could never tell anyone for fear of reprisal. <laughs> so you've buried it in your mind. No, first of all, I don't. I don't like the Subway, and I don't <laughs> eat there. Like, no, thank you. Um, and if I am, I'm gonna get a chicken bacon ranch because I'm like I'll be that fatty, but I won't get the like meatball because that's gross. Just like the politics of our time, you're talking about out of uh, two sides of your mouth right now. Well. I've never been there, but if I did, I would order a chicken bacon ranch. It's the O.J. Simpson subway defense. Yeah, if I did it, <laughs> it it's this. But it would never be, like, meatballs, no, I don't like meatballs, period. I think they're kind of gross. Really? Why is that? Uh, too dense. Too dense. I also don't like meatloaf. I think meatloaf freaks a lot of people out because it's, it's like a, an anachronistic food. It's like an artifact of the 1950s. Yeah. And I remember as a kid not liking it, I think just based on appearance alone, because frankly, meatloaf is pretty good. But it looks gross. It does look gross, yeah. But I mean, like, it's, a burger is fine, but like when you have it in a giant loaf, gross. Meat should not be cast into a form. Yeah, no. Just do it as a burger. That's yeah. That amorphous uh, flat circle, that's the closest it should ever be to a shape. That that tracks, yeah. But it shouldn't be a, like a sphere floating around. Like right. Otherwise, make a chili or a bolognese, and you know the sphere. I get what you're saying. I get it. I get the relationship to meatloaf, but come on, man. If somebody served you a delicious meatball on some pasta, mm. no meatball, please. Thank you. I'll, I'll you would decline the meatball. Yeah. Now we know it's a lie. If you were at a dinner party and there was, say, three other people there, and that was what was on offer for the night, you would decline the meatball and say, no, I will eat the pasta, and please don't put any of the sauce on it. I don't like the little green things in it. No. You would demand pasta and butter like a toddler. <sighs> no. That's what you're saying? No. That's what you're saying? That is not what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. Excuse me. I'm I'm talking. M- Miss, Miss Moderator, I'm talking. Can I finish my point, please? <laughs> please do. <laughs> I didn't really have one other than, mm-hmm. no, I would just be like, oh, no meatball, no thank you, but sauce me up. Okay. Well, a lot has happened since the last time we recorded. I I feel like it's worth mentioning because we happened to record probably on like the, the worst day. Before. day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and I said something on the last podcast that is just aged like milk. Do you remember what it is? <laughs> I don't know, but it ate, I think it aged like a lead lead balloon where it just sank to the bottom of the ocean right away. Uh, w- well, what I said was, uh, I'm really happy that the debate went the way that it, wa- that it did, because now for the next month until the election, everyone can just relax and chill out. So Wow, Friday felt, Thursday felt like three years ago. I'm delivering the mea culpa right now that, yep, uh, don't ever listen to anything that I say, because... I mean, it's a gr- that's great life advice for all. But. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, though, I am still chilling, and I think all the news that's come out has been very fun. At least it's been fun. Uh, that's a word one could use. Oh, it, oh, come on, man. You've got to admit, it's the funniest possible clown world. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, we're recording... What day is today? Thursday? Thursday. We're recording this on uh, Thursday, October 7th? 8th. 8th. I don't even know what day it is. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, October 8th, 2020. And uh, right before we started recording, 
a headline was posted that Pence got it too, and then was quickly retracted. Oh, so but the appearances are still canceled. Yeah. So, so I think within the next twenty four hours we'll probably find out that Mike Pence got it too. But was he even in the room with all these people? Yeah, they were all in the room together. Huh. I mean, it would be shocking if he didn't have it. I feel like they just keep him separate at all times, just in case. That is not what they do. That's normally what presidents do, especially during a pandemic. That's what they would do, president and vice. I mean, they're supposed to do that to some degree all the time, because yeah. if there's a nuclear attack, you don't want them proximate to each other. At all. Yeah, but they have to be for obvious reasons a lot of the time. But yes, that's why they keep separate residences and separate offices and everything. Hmm. So that uh, in that event, you could at least save one. You know, but no, it's the Trump administration, man. They're not doing that. Oh. But yeah, so they all got it. Pence probably got it. It's extra hilarious because he probably gave it to Kamala. As we know, plexiglass barriers don't do anything. No, they didn't shake hands, but they're uh. in the same room. I don't know. I guess Biden didn't, didn't get it as far as we know yet, but maybe they'll all just get it. Well, that's the real clown future of, well... Go ahead and vote for someone who probably might just be hospitalized and on a ventilator. I don't know. I have to say, I like to be scornful and bitter about the Democrats, but I honestly think right now it's much funnier that it's only the Republicans getting it. Oh, it's... Not because it's what they deserve or whatever. It's just that their complete ignorance and negligence catching up to them with this amount of timing. Oh, I mean, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't write it better. It's like... It's, like, too accurate and too timely to even be, like, Schadenfreude level. Yeah. Like, it's it's a new level of uh, comedy of errors that I'm like, I don't even know. Right. It's, it's like, beyond Shakespearean and it's fuckery. It's hyper real. It's a, very, it, yes. it's a very uncanny thing to be a part of. Like, to be watching. witnessing. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, right before we started recording, I was watching SNL. Because they just did their season debut yeah. and they're back in the studio for the first time. And, of course, they are uh, trying to lampoon the debate in the cold open. Which, why is it Jim Carrey? That's a different issue. But Well, I was I was coming to that. Mm. It, yeah, why is it Jim Carrey? I don't, I don't understand. And the way he plays it is so... The way he plays Joe Biden is so, like, kinetic that I'm like, Joe Biden, he's Sleepy Joe, man. He doesn't do this. And playing it that way doesn't make it funny somehow. I think it's just, I think it's this weird thing where Jim Carrey, because libs are the ones that watch SNL, is responsible for projecting the image that you're supposed to believe is Joe Biden because the real guy can't do it. But why wouldn't you still use Woody Harrelson? Everyone likes him. Was he doing it during the him and the Sudeikis, primaries? Yeah. Sudeikis was the one I remember, and I remember him being fine because he played it kind of doddering. But loud. He still played it too high energy. That's the problem yeah. with all these people. Is like it, it, Joe Biden is an uncanny figure in and in and of himself. His just uh, you know sleepy eyed, demented, lack of charisma, mm. and even being able to pay attention to what room he's in. You know, I don't. You I don't know. know. I That's like not easy. That, yeah. <laughs> well, of course you do. I mean, the meatball <laughs> subs they pile up after a while. Oh my and, god. <sighs> but anyway, the SNL thing was like really tragic to watch. I, I only did it because I was like, well. Maybe it'll be kind of interesting, mm-hmm. and it's just an impo- no. it's impossible to make it funnier than it already was, and it's impossible to even truly represent it. Everything about it just feels off and unfunny. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's on brand, though. I guess so. That has been their thing for a long time. But it, it would be funny, though, if they could so- sort of somehow make it into a train wreck. Like, misread it enough to make it bad funny, but they don't do that. Not that you could on purpose, but it's interesting that they're, uh. that they're able to toe this line of, like, where you're watching SNL thinking, who likes this? But yet the crowd is bleeding and hooting and hollering like swine. Well, you know, you know, you know about the audience, right? What about them? So, in in New York City, you can't have gatherings like that indoors, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, in order to have a live audience, they have to be part of the crew. Wait, so it's the writers and the crew that? No, no, they paid the audience members. Oh my God! But, really? So you got you got like there like minimal tickets to begin with, but even still, like you got a hundred fifty dollars just to go watch SNL. Oh my God! Why didn't we do this? It's very hard to get SNL tickets. Yeah, I know, but I would have at least liked to try to get that Hundo Fifty kicker. Yeah, just for the money, and you know, even though I don't like SNL, it would still be fun to go watch a taping. It's Maybe you would actually think it was funny if you were in the room. In the room, mm. probably not. Mm. But they do the same thing they do at comedy shows, where they warm up the crowd with stand up and stuff. Yeah. So you know that happens with live comedic performances, where you get kind of juiced up. And it's the energy in the it's room. It's the energy yeah. in the room, but yeah, but they don't know. I don't know. I would have rather <laughs> been in the actual debate room. Come to think of it, that's even harder to get tickets to. It is. Oh, you need. Yeah. Well, I don't know how it works yeah. under coronavirus anymore, but I do know I was trying to pull strings when I was out in Nevada earlier in the year to go to the Democratic primary debate that was in Vegas while I was there, mm-hmm. and it was virtually impossible. Like even hotel employees that my parents know that can usually do things like that were like, no, this one's all donors, and we don't have any control or leverage at nothing, all about yeah. who goes. Mm. Yeah. And I believe that was also the debate that Mike Bloomberg like paid a bunch of people to be in the audience for. Oh. Well. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, where it was like, woo! Yeah, people like, were what? like, what? Because <laughs> it was after he bombed the first one so completely. that I don't just... remember him even participating in them. I do, because it was... Fu- that was the... F- Man, that's... Oh, God, I'm, my, my brain is glitching a little bit, because remember when that was like sort of exciting and weird? And this crazy transgression to just have a billionaire come in and be like, yeah, I'm going to buy this thing. Is everybody cool with that? And everyone's like, no. And most people were like, no, but some people were like, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I knocked on quite a few Bloomberg doors when I was out there, unbelievably. I mean, that means that someone from Bloomberg just came with a lot of, like, a brick of cash and was like, vote Bloomberg. Well, yeah, I, I know I must have told you this privately. I'm not sure I ever said it on the podcast, but I was in an Uber when I was in Las Vegas on my way back from canvassing. And of course, it's not New York, so the driver wants to talk to you. Now you got to talk to Sue for 45 minutes or No, whatever. thanks. Um, and Sue's like, oh, what are you doing? And I was telling her I was canvassing, told her I was canvassing for Bernie. And she's like, oh, you know, I picked up another canvasser near this neighborhood. And I was like, oh, yeah, another Bernie person? Because as far as I was concerned, that's all I knew was doing it. Mm. And I saw, like, one Warren person or whatever. And she's like, no, I think it was that guy, Mike. And I was like, Bloomberg? And she was like, yeah, he said he was getting paid to do it. How much are you getting paid? And I was like, I'm a volunteer. We all do it for free. And she was like, oh, well, he was getting paid $17 an hour. <laughs> well, yeah. And I also have quite a few photos in my phone on my phone reel of Bloomberg flyers in the gutter. So I think a lot of those people were taking the money and just throwing them yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Which, good for them. Good grift. I should have been doing that back then, too. I could have worked double time. 
just carried around the Bloomberg flyers in a backpack and just actually canvassed for Bernie, but got paid by Mike to do it. Yeah, duh. If I was smart. Well, hmm. there's probably like campaign uh, laws or rules about that. You can't be a double agent. I mean, I don't know, man. You would be surprised what there are and are not rules about. And I, I even if there were, it's a victimless crime and I it's guess. unenforceable. Yeah, you would true. never be caught doing it. Well, there was that guy who was caught throwing away mail last week in New Jersey. This has been going on a lot a little a lot a little bit. Um yeah, I heard about the guy in New Jersey. He was a conservative person throwing away liberal ballots, right? Yes, and then yeah. they caught him and punished him. Yes. Was he actually doing it or was it fake news? No, someone like found it and then they traced the route and was like, "We gave this to you. What the fuck, man?" Oh, yeah. And he did it multiple times. He was caught dead to rights. Oh. Yeah. Well, and in the same dumpster or whatever. So oh, like, Jesus Christ. Dude, stupid. Yeah. These people really don't think these things like through, just like the militiamen kidnapping a governor. Uh, That's another thing. <laughs> I mean, like, you can't dump your entire day's worth bag out and just be like, they're never going to find it. It's like, yeah, we still sorted it. So. I forget exactly where it was. I want to say it was Austria or something. It, it was in Europe somewhere that some male person had been getting um, their salary and hadn't delivered the mail for like over a decade. And when they realized that this had been happening, I don't know how it could possibly go on that long. Don't ask huh. me the details yeah. of it. Like, cause that's a lot of people not getting important things. Like for in, 10 years. Yeah, yeah, in the aggregate, you'd think they would be able to figure that problem out pretty quick, but they didn't. Maybe he was only stealing certain people's mail, or I, who knows. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when they finally caught up to this this character, his house was full of the mail. He was just some weird hoarder that like kept it all. He didn't open any of it. He didn't like cash any of the checks. He was just keeping other people's mail, and he had a hoarder's style apartment that was piled high to the ceiling with all the with... mail he'd stolen over the years. Did he just get tired, and not want to like deliver it, or like? Is it like an anxiety thing where it's like, I can't do it and I'm just going to hold on to it. They won't find it. No, Ten I mean, years, though, I, is a lot of mail. I got to imagine that when you're far enough into that, whatever your intentions were to begin with, eventually you're just continuing to do it out of habit and maybe fear of like, I guess I haven't been caught yet, so this is working. But clearly, if you're keeping all of it, you have some sort of psychological disorder. Yeah. I really I really feel bad for the person. It seems like genuinely they were probably just a hoarder that accidentally got fixated on their job or something. Yeah. You know? Maybe, but 10 years is a long time to be like, I haven't received any fucking mail in 10 years. I would probably lose my mind. Well, I know the logistics of it are baffling to me because they must have been getting people their mail, yet this person was still stealing it. I have no clue Yeah. how that's possible. I huh. really don't. But, yeah. Maybe he was only hoarding, like, catalogs. That could have been. Maybe he was just stealing people's junk mail. I don't know. Yeah. It Which, seemed to have nothing to do with, like, a grift, though. He yeah. obviously wasn't profiting from this, and it was incredibly risky. He wasn't, like, cashing checks. Like, no. You would see, like, a, ooh, that looks like a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't, know, I don't know what it is with mail carriers. But there was that other one, the Ilan Omar controversy, about the guy that was... Wasn't this from your news site that's... Uh, pro yes, it was Project Veritas, which is notorious for fabricating these things. And guess what? Yesterday, fabricated. Oh, the what? guy, the guy in the video that was supposedly stealing ballots and trashing them on behalf of Ilan Omar, just straight out came out and said, "Yeah, the guy James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, he paid me a couple grand to do that." <sighs> and so, turns out, fake news. 
Oh well. That's I mean the irony of a, a, y- using a Latin name for for truthiness, you know. Yeah. And then just going, mm. but that's all. That's all weird, alt righty things. Think of Palantir. They all love things that are like truth in Latin, things in Latin. Well, Latin yeah, because they they they're edgy. They're like edge lords. They like think it's cool to like sneak in an evil sounding name from Lord of the Rings. You know, I don't know. But why? But why? Because to them it's cool. But it's not. To you, but to okay, them it yeah, is cool. You have to accept that, and to a lot of people it is too. A dark sounding name like Palantir for a software company that uh, helps ICE detain people. I mean, come on. Yeah. In a <sighs> lot of people's minds, that's cool. It's very dismissive to be like. No, that's just flat out lame. Like, yeah, maybe to you, but it's ju- but it's just like that seems like a a a B or C level movie, like evil corporation. Like even like on something like uh, what is it, Alien with Dynacorp? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on like, s- terrible name. On some level, they are internalizing that media. Yeah, and you know, reflecting it back to culture because they think those movies are cool and they're like, yeah, I'm like the corporation in the in the movie. And it turns out they are. So, like, why wouldn't they do that? It's not to say that those movies or, like, cultural phenomenon caused those things, but... But wouldn't you, if you wanted to, like, do some more devious shit, just, like, have the happiest name around, just be like, hi, we're good friends. No, I think sometimes they do do that. Like, do you remember during the Iowa caucus when there, when there was the controversy around the... Uh, app that was supposed to administer the whole thing and it turned into a total debacle what yeah during the iowa you don't remember this i at remember all. some weird that was app this year. thing was like fucked up yeah the app fucked up and it fucked up the vote count at the end of the day and i don't remember what the name of that company was but it was something like good corp <laughs> it was some like really innocuous name created by democrats to sound like totally normal but it turns out they were shysty yeah you know it, that's an even lamer version. You don't want to have the nice sounding name and be the evil company because then when you get found out, that just looks so stupid. You want to be the evil company with the evil name that everybody already knows is evil. Then you can do even shystier uh, shit because no one expects you to do anything better. So oh, when it comes yeah, out I that get, you're okay. helping ICE, it's like, oh, yeah, of course they were. It's like it seems like a big media controversy to people that are affected by things like that. But at the end of the day, it just fits your corporate image exactly as you intended. So like they're like you're yes. kind of immune from the criticism by the name. Uh-huh. I guess, but I, I mean, it's more interesting if it's like the evil name, but then they're doing some like good stuff, like or, or, or it's like double agent kind of like like Janice or whatever from Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah. You realize Janice was the villain, and also Janice is the two faced god in Rome. So it was yeah, so, it was an intentionally evil sounding name for the evil corporation. I don't know if it goes to your point uh, that you should be an evil evil sounding company that does nice things also please give me an example of that <laughs> yeah mm. that's just not a thing in general so yeah. you know i was trying to think of a, of a name of a co- it's i got nothing no there's no such thing i mean i don't know i think the closest i can think of are like children's toy companies or whatever you know their names are always kind of bubbly like hasbro that doesn't sound nefarious at all and they don't really do anything nefarious, I guess. Well, uh, I don't know. I'm sure they do something terrible, like the you know the factory in Mexico where they manufacture their dice. They all get paid two dollars a day or something. I'm yeah. sure. If you well, yeah. But if you think like 
Kenner never sounded. Kenner was just a family name back when that was a thing that companies used to do. And so, yeah, it just sounds kind of innocuous. Oh, okay. I guess that's true. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't really know what your point is here. I don't know what, what, what are you getting at? You know, I I want some like some, some sophisticated branding to be like, we're doing this, but actually it's this. Well, that's every branding, but like, you know, in a good way, trying to be optimistic about the world. This is the stupidest line of optimism <laughs> I've, I've ever encountered. I want like grizzle bots to drop me presents and have give me clear phones, but then steal my data. But even within that, ex- you <laughs> you keep proving yourself wrong. <laughs> even in the example of Grizzle from Parks and Recreation, they were data mining and that got found out, and then that's why they had to leave. No, that's why they couldn't buy the land. Yeah, well, they prevented them from doing their evil plan. Is the point? Oh, I guess. That's right. I guess an evil plan. <laughs> but either way, can I get a drone with presents? Is that a thing? Can I mean, it's called Amazon. They already do this. <sighs> yeah, I guess that's true. I don't even know why you're trying to be optimistic. You don't care about anything. You don't even like to pretend to care, which is why you can't even make a point or come up in, uh, <laughs> with an example of what you're talking about because it's all fake to yes, begin with. Yes, I just There's no such thing as optimism for you. There's only food and nap and then grave. Yes, I just I want to fi- I want a company to be a cha- chaos agent incorporation. You yes. just want to be a person from Wally. You don't care what uh, the company does as long as it sounds nice and brings you the food, brings you all the food. Yeah, that's what seamless is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You already have what you're asking for, man. It's all around you. You utilize it yeah, all but the time. Seamless is bad. In what sense? Please describe to me. But they d- are you going to boycott seamless? Are no, you going to no. do anything about it? Then what do you care? What no. do you care? I mean, I, I don't use Amazon. You don't use Amazon because you don't want to pay for a subscription. You would use Amazon if you had a subscription. No, I, I never did. Every time that I got it, I would use it for two months, and then I wouldn't use it the rest of the year, and I'd be like, son of a bitch. Mm. Well, it would deny you the ability to uh, drive around and get stuck in traffic on your errands, which, as we know, is the, the main output activity for you, the thing that seems to sap you of all of your... Uh, vitality in life driving around it takes a lot of attention <laughs> you get very tired i don't know how the cab drivers they do it i don't know oh man well anyway what you got <laughs> you can't do this to me you do this to what me every we, episode 20 minutes no in? 30 minutes oh okay that's great i mean do sometimes we... i'm low energy too and i can't do the whole thing i mean do we have to talk about the the vice presidentials or no because we didn't we kind watch of them. already did and we didn't yeah we didn't watch it anyway so no i mean trump getting coronavirus is the only you know mm. that's the relevant news what about the debate we didn't watch the debate we tried to watch the debate it was so boring yeah and so substanceless at the same time and so lacking in charisma that uh i turned it off and went and watched a lecture on world war Two. hmm and yeah. uh you, I don't know. What did you do? Take another nap? Take nap three? Nap th- Three naps does not happen. I guarantee you it has happened. It's never happened. Yes, it has. That's called sleeping. When you're on the third one, it's sleeping. Well, it in is. your case, I don't know. Okay. But, like, I mean, I just don't... I, I do want to maybe address the, like, the visual symbolism of everyone losing their shit over a fly and uh, Chuck Taylors. Because... You're bored by this. Never mind. You no 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 no. Please, you can you can try. I just know this is go- not going to go anywhere. I just don't. I don't like that. 
the best that one like a side can do is well this guy wears aviators he's like your dad on a boat and then you know she wears chucks and don't you aren't we all normal isn't this the best we can try to pitch to you is relatability and no uh, actual positions yeah but i mean man that's been the case for a while well i don't i just don't want to see it in the like the visual medium of like it's a cool line drawing and i'm like ooh, that's bad <laughs> like no don't do that what about it is bad and bothers you if you really want to talk <sighs> about this you need to have a specific critique here because otherwise otherwise this is nothing otherwise this is beating a dead horse again and again and again which normally i like to do if you have an angle on it but i'm not i'm not going to do a podcast about line drawing bad eh. I, that's not a thought it's it's a let me get there. Let me, let me get there. I just don't like that, like, wh- being, obviously being sold, like, a, a certain generational kind of visual style is enough of a salve for people in the world. That, like, shareability aesthetics somehow makes everything okay, and it's like, oh, we're going to be satiated. And it's like, maybe that, like, the bar has been lowered so much over the course of the last five years in terms of, like, uh, visual messaging in terms of advertising and graphic design that like maybe if this is where we're at like a our visual literacy is so like as a culture is so limited that this is where we can be like oh it's homey because lines and you're like uh, what um it, you know like all of that like sans serif poppy colors now has trickled down into just like it's a scribble we put our colors on it yeah, but is that a is that a problem of political ads, or are you just griping about graphic design in general? That this sort of aesthetic of a Casper mattress poster is where we've arrived. Well, that it's degraded even beyond Casper mattress. That it's like literally the bar napkin that the Casper mattress was sketched out on is now the thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like we've degraded into such like, well, maybe that was too sophisticated. Like, you know, even the like, think of like the Hope Obama like. Well, I was actually going to ask you about that because I don't see in what sense it's meaningfully different other than that the Hope thing being a Shepherd Fairy design is dated at this point. It's the exact same phenomenon, but from that era when it was street art was ascendant. Yeah. And now there is no ascendant art in general. So graphic design and by extension, like political advertisements just look like ads on the subway for... No, but what I'm saying is they don't even look as sophisticated as a subway ad design. Like, it's it's harkening back to this weird Gen Z kind of, like, DIY look of, like, the hand-drawn line and the, like, marker I, I paper. Don't, I really don't know what you mean. Like, I think you're kind of all over the place here. Because uh. there's, there's a couple of things. Like, with, when it comes to political stuff, it's always a reduced version of whatever's going on because it needs to have massive appeal. Okay. So you have to take away every element of stylization from it that even advertisements can kind of get away with to separate their ba- brand from the pack. In the two-party political system, you don't have to do that because Republicans have a style of branding that is going to inherently be uh, more fierce and conservative and sort of fascistic. And the Democrats have to have a soft sort of bubbly approach to everything that they do. And everything has to be stripped away so that it can communicate almost nothing as broadly as possible. But that was the same thing for Obama. I don't know. It's not different. I think I'm maybe just thinking about this because like... When we were in MoMA, there's a room of Olga Rosanova prints 
of like Russian, like a Russian war story. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. And like thinking about that, and then the um, the French drawings, the uh, cuts in the uh, Felix Fenian show, like where political visual messaging and things that were you know on the outskirts of that were all so sophisticated and layered, very simple looking ish. Yeah, but there are still woodblocks that are hard to make or whatever. Um, and even leading into Bauhaus time, like everything was so sophisticated and required like thought to understand the like puns and the jokes that were happening in in things. Yeah, we were talking about this in the car yesterday uh, about how people used to be quippier. I don't yeah. know how that came up, but I gave you the example of uh, watching old William F. Buckley. He had that show Firing Line, and he was very cosmopolitan very quick very dense with reference and able to dispense it with a lot of uh wit and brevity yeah right um that's just not a thing in culture anymore i mean whether we're talking about graphic design or whether we're talking about people's speech i mean listen to the two of us it sounds like a couple of monkeys drowning in an isis cage (laughs) what (laughs) um i mean like one of the quotes like they were questioning him about like did he participate in some anarchism and i'm i always get confused by what they mean in in french society circles when they say anarchism but whatever um but the uh the prosecutor is asking him like your valet uh said that you invited over a lot of curious characters who were uh, unseemly it's like i invite over artists and writers and quite frankly my valet is in no position to be the judge of any of them Right, right to raucous laughter you know everyone in the crowd is just like ha, 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 ha. he slammed his butler <laughs> uh like granted like that's a little fucked up but funny yeah He's i just mean, like well, who's my butler judge what the fuck him like to, to be to be clear in case that reference didn't make any sense we're talking about the felix uh Fenion show at moma and will's referring to a series of court transcripts he was a known anarchist at the time that was involved in some kind of bombing so they had these transcripts there to read and that's a slice from one of them yeah but yeah i mean to well what are you pining for like sophisticates in society i mean i think that's really the the ultimate well that you could are you wondering how how collectively as a society we've devolved to a level where most people can't think and dispense a joke like that and even if they could most people wouldn't get it well, it's, yeah, and that there's fear that most people won't get it. We we have this new fear period where, oh, can you dumb it down just a little bit just so everyone, it's a little more accessible to everyone? I'm like, no. I mean, I remember having, this is a weird memory, but I remember playing like Trivial Pursuit or some kind of board game uh, with my family in Las Vegas at one point on a visit. So I couldn't have been older than 12, let's say. And to me, a lot of the answers were, like, really obvious. I don't remember what the particular questions were. But Trivial Pursuit is not is not that obscure. If you have pretty good general knowledge, you're going to get 9 out of 10 in that game. I remember the original one being hard because it was just with out-of-date references. So if you don't know and you're a 10-year-old, you're like, huh? That's true. If you're playing the version from 1979 or whatever, it's going to be more difficult because they're going to ask you about the Carter administration. And you're like, and huh? That used to be a thing, and now nobody knows. But I remember saying to my family at one point, like, you guys, you didn't know that? it was." Let's imagine that the question was something as simple as, like, uh, what's the fourth planet from the sun? And there's just absolute silence around the table. 
And I'm like, duh, it's Mars. And everyone's like, wow, like that's so impressive because you're a little kid. And I condescended them as a child and was like, you guys, that's common knowledge. You should all know that. And I remember my mom, because my uncle <laughs> looked like so pathetic and dejected. And my mom was like, Christopher, do not say that to people. Like everyone has different levels of knowledge. Like nothing is common knowledge. And that Oof. I think is the exact problem that maybe you're lamenting here is that this idea that you need to broaden things out and generalize things more so that everyone can understand each other is like, is is this a is this fear as you described it of like being smug or something when really we should just hold people to standards minimum standards and if you're below the standard you should be shamed for it but you also should have like a br- like you know a breadth of knowledge so like yes. you could have like you can have your highfalutin jokey time and un- be able to understand like a complex like a uh, woodblock but also if you can't you know tell me the names of six members of Wu-Tang, I also don't want to fuck with you. Yeah, right. That's true. You know, like, it, I don't want to... You know, it, it's, it's not about, like, high and low culture. It's just a matter of, like, what's the breadth of it? And it's like, oh, the breadth of it is, well, we like uh, Millennial Pink and, uh, you know, Moderna. Can you do something with that and make it palatable to everyone? It's like, no, because it's dumb. Yeah, I think, I think what we're dancing around r- right now is that there is so much information out there that the kind of breadth and slight depth of knowledge that you might expect or that I might expect from other people is sort of formally impossible. Because How and why? Because, think about this example, like when Size Gangnam Style came out, it was the first video to do a billion views, right? Yeah. Remember that? Now there's videos on YouTube that have a billion views that you and I have never heard of. I guess that's true. So if you were going to talk to a Zoomer, their version of six members of Wu-Tang would be uh, about a K-pop band and it would be impossible for you to do it, right? And they would look at you and say, like, Wu-Tang Clan, like, I know that name, but that would be like asking someone of our generation who were all the members of the Rat Pack. You're like, I know who that is and I know Frank Sinatra was in it, but everybody else, it's like, Sammy Davis Jr.? Yeah, You just start to be like, whatever. Because it's not relevant to your life anymore. I guess, yeah. And I think with the spread of the... I think with the internet in particular, because you have access to all of that information, the overwhelm makes it even more difficult to establish a baseline for wit. Because it's it's relative to what? And everybody is starting in a different place. I guess, but, like, this goes... Like, when you say, like, the wit thing, I think of, you know, this is why, like when you have a Twitter going, oh, like a, a look of Kamala looking like, did this motherfucker just say this on stage? Like, and that's humor. Oh, it's not hu- like, or like, you, do you know what Betches is? No. On Instagram. It's like low grade, like was on Twitter or Reddit. And it's just like, we put the joke and we put it in a pink background. Okay. Like that passes as like group humor. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, stand-up comedians complain about this all the time because Twitter in its early days was great for comedians because if you were kind of unique and interesting, like you would stand out in that crowd. But they and all the early Twitter people ended up inventing the formatting for all oh, the yeah. joke making. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I think that kind of go- goes to your point, which is now you just get tweets that are uh, organized to look funny. But the actual content of them is not a good burn or is not a funny joke, but they follow the right format. Or like a joke is just like hashtag same. And right. it's just a picture. And it's like, is it hashtag same? It's not. Like, no, this 
doesn't work. 10 or 15 years ago on the internet, this took the form of like so random humor. I guess. People that were so random, you know, yeah. and it kind of spilled over into real life. I, I remember having like friends that were like this in high school where like their version of what was funny was to just like stop mid-sentence and be like, wah, wah, or like just make a sound. I mean, in a weird way, I feel like you're kind of a version of this. I just make time. sounds because I just stop learning. How but to, like rather yeah. than rather than be clever enough to like have a premise and deliver on a punchline, even in a casual conversation, they couldn't get that far because it's too hard. So the version of like being funny was clucking like a chicken or something. And it was like, OK, OK, why? That's yeah. not a that's not a thing. That's not anything. Well, that d- was also derived out of odd situational humor a la uh tom green like in that kind of era of like oh it's just be weird and you can cluck like a chicken even though you're a dude in a suit and pe- oh funny absolutely it's just the contrast between the n- seemingly normal situation and the uh Absurd. over-the-top thing it's lazy data to a certain extent yeah yeah it, it is because because all of that stuff starts in irony and becomes appealing to people that don't understand that it's ironic yeah you know, the idiocracy people see Tom Green in themselves in an earnest way, not in a satirical way. And you start to lose the thread a little bit. And I think and I think you're making an important observation or an interesting observation that the the generality of humor and design online uh, is exactly that effect where maybe that stuff starts out as like sharp and kind of cutting or it just gets absorbed and watered down by really banal, unfunny people. And the last element is that I think that there is so much fear and alarm around being offensive in any way, shape, or form that you can't even approach something off-color if you want to remain in the good graces of the normal crowd. I Maybe, but I don't know. I, I think it's in most aspects of culture, though, like writ large. Think about like every pop song. Think about most... like yeah art made that you only see on instagram and you're like "Mm, mm." um but like the the buffering like the the sanding down of any sense of an edge that lets you know like we're subverting something we're going to try to cause a little rift in your understanding of the world which is the artful act of it is all gone because it's just about like how do we make it palatable to you instead of making it like cause a little glitch in your matrix right like United Colors of Bennington ads uh were titillating which oh, is why wild, which is yeah. why they were appealing. Um but you're right that there's very f- there's very little advertising or very little like I- image or media that does that at all anymore. I've been thinking about this a lot with TV lately cuz like I haven't been watching a lot of it Mm-mm. and there's a show called The Boys on Amazon. Have you ever told you about it? This is where it's like superheroes. It's, it's are like bad. not a very good show, but it was good enough to watch. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I like this genre. It's violent. It's got like things that appeal to me, right? And the first season was pretty good. And then, but that was pre coronavirus. That was pre every all the craziness, right? Yeah. So by the time it comes back around and I'm watching it again, I'm like, this just doesn't even feel like it interacts with the world anymore. Like you said, it just has everything sanded off of it to be normal to be broadly appealing and i'm like the there's no, there's nothing about this to l- latch your teeth onto anymore i think we touched on this a little bit earlier in covid too because it did make especially when the production of everything had stopped oh. and there was nothing mm-hmm. new and because the fear around the virus and just the situation wasn't normalized yet uh so it made watching tv really difficult like 
another example is I was just talking to our friend Rachel. She's watch rewatching The West Wing, and she she's like, that feels like absolutely completely fiction, which of course it, it always well, it, was, yeah. but at the end of history when it came out, um, it felt aspirational, yeah, rather than completely retrograde and laughable. Well. You know, she was talking yeah. about a scene in in the West Wing where they're where they're having a presidential debate, and that's why she texted me about it. She was like, "It's weird to watch this right after all that," and it's a liberal Republican president, President Bartlett, uh, talking about how he wants to pass Medicare for all, and it's like we both just lolled. At that. It's like, are you kidding me? But, but the thing is, people of our generation now, who are you know in the little more center thing, are still like, you know wish i could live in that version of the world and i'm like ah no well yeah because you would you would rather have the aspiration delivered to you in a form where you can watch it rather than work for it and in the real world outside of the aaron sorkin fantasy you don't want to have to think about it if you want to think about it at all you want to think about uh the unicorns and fairies version of it and the rest of the time you don't want to think about it you want to go to brunch yeah i mean well, we were talking about the Aaron, the Aaron Sorkin hagiophic, Jesus making of <laughs> the b- baby boomer generation, right? Yeah. Um, like where it's like I know they were fuckers, but I wish they would have been this way. And it's like, well, they weren't. So why do you keep trying to? See? Unfortunately, your rewriting to make them more palatable for you, sir, is somehow making it more palatable for everyone else because they're like, yeah, that would be idealized and. Shouldn't we all do that? And it's like, yeah, they're great. No, what? No, wait, wait, what? But no, they're not great. You're making them sound like better people than they were, or are. Well, yeah, you're just you're just trying to justify why your father ignored you. It must have been for a good reason. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I mean, really, like uh, they, they frankly, I don't like referencing po- other podcasts on the podcast, but they talk about this on Red Scare kind of a lot. How a lot of media and people's interaction and responses to it are just like basically familial or sexual pathology at some level and i actually think that that read is kind of true like people that get hysterical about takes on media or takes on politics usually have a personal problem that's they're not thinking about or wanting to address oh sublimation through general pop culture yeah well duh yeah i mean and that's what you know that's what the disney fantasy has always been about it's always been there to do that Mm. Um, it's easier to locate with Disney movies, right? Because they're literally manipulating children. So it's easier to see the messaging and how it's supposed to form their development. But adults don't like to think they're susceptible to that. Put any adult and have them watch Coco and watch them ball. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's also, I think... Well, because Disney also, interestingly, eventually did this thing, especially with the Pixar movies, where they realized that their audience had grown up, so now now they could deliver messaging to children and their parents simultaneously. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what Toy Story is about. I mean, the, the quintessential lesson of Toy Story is that the parents watch it and cry and the kids watch it and cry, but for two different reasons. That's, yeah. Huh. And when they learned that trick, they just applied that to every Everything format. going forward, yeah. yeah. Well... Yeah, I just wish that wasn't the most effect, like, you know. It's well, what, uh, you're, what you're asking for is real art, right? Like, s- something something that puts a fracture in your reality. It doesn't have to be in a negative sense, but something that lets you crack through to another possible future or to another way of looking at the present that you never thought of before. And no popular media does that, none. Well, like, you know, like, 
to think of the Pixar, it's like I want something that can do what the Kodak Carousel does to what's his face, guy who runs Harry Crane. Yeah, getting weepy running away, and you know, I where's that in the world that isn't a Pixar movie? That doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. And even even with the Pixar movies, it doesn't really happen because no. they, they've devolved just into nostalgia. Mid- it, yeah. it has nothing to do with giving you possibility. It ha- actually has to do with foreclosing your sense of what is possible and making you pine for the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, it's a book I've brought up on here before, but everything was forever until it was no more. That book about the late Soviet Union written by an anthropologist is exactly about this problem. Um, and he details in that book like a lot of Soviet art of the time really struggling to get people out of this kind of malaise. Because when you live in like a deeply entrenched bureaucracy that you feel you have no control or authority within, sound familiar, and your political spectacle and mass media that is normally there to alleviate that kind of tension uh, can't do that anymore. People get really frustrated, and you either sit down and stop being productive, which I think is happening to a lot of art right now. I'm, and I'm talking about like contemporary visual art. Yeah, um, it's a lot of circling back to well-trod territory, basically. Um, so you either sit down and stop functioning, um, or you start to get really bizarre and just do whatever you can. So, like in the Soviet Union, one of the forms that sticks out to me was. There were these people that would just do like public interventions, almost like Andy Kaufman style. You know how he would sort of get up in front of the audience and do an intentionally bad performance as Tony Clifton or start playing the bongos, but then eventually start crying. And like people don't know how to react to that because you're in a real situation and not the artifice finally. So these Soviet groups would do things like that, but they all revolved around like morbidity and zombification and violence. So they would do things like... uh, dress up to look as if they'd got hit by a train and then lay near the train tracks where a lot of people were and play dead. And when the people would all come crowd around, they would like get up as if they were zombified and freak the crowd out. Oh, that's just funny. So, so, but the, the, you know, it's like almost like jackass or something. Well, that, that, yeah, that's almost like an improv everywhere playbook, but sure. Dark as fuck. And well, and you can read it in retrospect as a, as a political commentary on like the moribund situation politically in the soviet union but the sense that i got from that book was like it really wasn't that it was mostly just like young adults just kind of acting out because there was on one hand nothing better to do and nothing political to do so it just started to erupt you know and i wonder if things like that'll start to happen but american society seems so different in that way we don't i i can't i'm not smart enough to say but like i feel that our futures are foreclosed in a more severe way than that that like because mass media and the internet are part of our equation in a way that they weren't in the 80s and the Soviet Union, that um, our morass is more difficult and complicated. Ours is going to be closer to, like, the Italians in the early 2000s. Do you remember the movie Gamora or Camorra? Gamora. No. It's about, like, these Italian teenagers because, obviously, like, that was during a time when high youth unemployment and not much to do and economies in the shitter. Um, so they were just joining, you know, the old school crime families, which in America, and you know, it's basically young men with a lot of energy and too many guns. So that's a sounds familiar in the American yeah world. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have as much fun. Well, you know, 
that's an that's an interesting parallel because people don't like to hear this and i feel like i've said it on the show before but like that's why all of the most interesting cultural stuff and dare i say even like art comes from the right right now that's why alt-right memes are the funniest ones and then even people on the left or even the center eventually absorb them and start passing them around and they get watered down eventually and lose all of their edge but like remember when pepe the frog was like a nazi thing and everyone was scared of pepe and now it's like everybody instagrams a pepe thing every once in a while but because it's just a cipher. It was used in general and then got taken over and then now it's just back in the general. Well, well, always has been. But like whether you think about the Proud Boys or the Boogaloo Boys or posters on 4chan, um, all of those people are doing something interesting. Like think about the Boogaloo Boys aesthetics of military meets Hawaii. That's not a combination that's ever been seen before. And so, you know, I understand, I understand that their politics are bad or whatever and that may, will cancel them in people's minds from aesthetic assessment but that's a more interesting thing than anybody in the center of the dial is doing they're watching snl and like caring about chuck taylor's right think about how boring that is versus an ar-15 and a hawaiian shirt like at least that's interesting well that's closer to like the idea of just culture jamming it but is, i don't it is. but i don't necessarily think that that's the frisson that i'm trying to like get at well it's not the frisson that you're trying to get at or that i would want either because you're right that it is culture jamming these people are not estes they're not intentionally unsophisticated much like the soviet people just doing something to act out because they're young men with nothing better to do it's the same thing so they're not doing it with aesthetic intention it does have that attached to it if you're the type of person that looks at things that way like you or i but no it's not the moment that you're looking for of course not neither are pepe memes or groipers or whatever but at least there's something they're they're new i mean i i keep looking at my my phone because i did notice this i for some reason like in the moment like uh rehang i they put the malevich in a corner the uh, the three that they own so don't put malevich in a corner title of app um so the white on white painting is this kind of thing where it's about imagining possibilities. And this is in what, 1919, 1912? I don't remember. I think those were like uh, around 1915. Yeah. Yeah. In that five year span, which is they're important five years, but it was still about the imagining of the potential of the future. A white on white thing. Never been done. Sure. Okay. You know, like the vastness of possibility. But then you have, um, you know, the, the black square with the little angled red square. Yeah. Um, Boy with knapsack, which is a I didn't know that was the title of it. It but was okay. a later attribution. Um, but then they have the for kids label, and this is the part that makes me kind of hurt inside. That I'm like, oh no. You've probably seen many paintings with people or buildings or landscapes in them. Well, not this painting! Exclamation point. It's not trying to show you how anything looks in the real world. Instead, it's an example of how important shape and color are to painting. The artist, Kazmir Malevich, called it boy with a knapsack. What shape do you think is the boy and which is the knapsack? What else could this painting be of? Oh, man, the people that write press releases in Chelsea would have a lot to learn from that. Oh, but it's all this is all wrong, though. <laughs> this is all terrible. Well, say what you mean. Go, go ahead. Like, it's not trying to show you how anything looks in the real world, but that's kind of the whole point. It's like, yes, this is not how, this is the way, this is a model of the world a model for seeing the world yeah yeah okay but like to say like no it's just abstraction doesn't mean it like i'm like "Mm." 
you you have to be you have to be self-aware enough to kids. remember on some level that you're complaining about a thing that's for children. I know, but like you're cutting off the options for them. Well, you 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 just need them to stop thinking. I mean, have you ever taught kids? Well, no, I have. No. You just need them in an art education to stop thinking about being good at representation oh. because that's what little kids want to do. So, mm. I I would like to continue our conversation about the Malevich, but uh, on some level, man, you're yeah, you're complaining about a pedagogical device for a four year old. Like it works, believe me, <sighs> and it's good. It's not bad. It's not bad to get them to look at the shapes and go, which shape do you think is what? Like, what do you expect? Oh, I guess you are asking them a question of like how their brain is ordering you're getting them things. to turn over a problem that they're not familiar with so it's okay i guess yeah i mean i think the 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 real thing like malevich is a really interesting example of art at a at a real turning point moment because mm-hmm. he was making those things between the two russian revolutions he was making them during the first world war mm-hmm. right and so like it's not that our situation is analogous to that don't get me wrong here but if you want to think about the turmoil that's happening in our world right now as being similarly chaotic or something uh imagine the genius you would have to be at this moment in time to produce something in any medium that had the same impact on history on the history of aesthetics as something like the black square or the white square like really put that in perspective for yourself and wonder if you or any of your friends are doing that cuz None of mine are, and I don't think any of the so-called best artists in the world are doing that. I don't think any film directors are doing that. I don't think anybody's doing that. Um, for whatever reason, whether it's because it's more complicated or we just can't see it yet, our situation is in some ways worse than that from an aesthetic perspective. Oh, well, they didn't have as much to look at back then. Well, yeah, as I said you before, know, image, I think information yeah. overload is a huge part of this. I don't know how you collate the sum total of all human knowledge being available to you into something succinct. You well, can't do yeah, that. And also, every image ever. It's not as if, like, ooh, collage with the newspaper. and the You get one set of images a day to deal with. Right. Now it's like, how many you want? We got all the images you ever could have. Right. They're not new. Well, and... You get one day of newness, but, like... And every obvious, let's just use painting because that's what we both know about. Like every obvious uh, aesthetic innovation has already been done from collage to different versions of abstraction to incorporating photography into painting to expanding painting beyond the stretcher. I mean, there is nothing left. There's only so much you can do with those materials before you're back to culture jamming. Like yeah. that's why I, I accepted that a long time ago in my own head and practice that 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 is really what everybody's doing and you can hide that or not. And if that's the situation, you might as well use that as part of the structure of what you're making rather than s- attempt to camouflage it under stylization. And I get that yeah. people probably have different perspectives on that, but I, that was the logic I used to land where I land as a painter. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. And I mean, my longing for a, a kind of more sophisticated pass, I just take the forms out and make it stim- simpler because I'm like, I don't have an idea about it. Right. It's interesting to hear you about talk it. about the longing, though, because I've always had this, too. I mean, I bucked up against this in school the whole time we were in it, that like the idea of giving up on modernity in some sense, the idea of the breakthrough was something I never wanted to give up hope on. And I kind of still don't because I think... Um, I didn't realize it then, but I realize now that what that is expressing is a hope for society in general, that like the future exists and can be better. And being constantly told that, no, that's an old hat idea that's over, 
this postmodern idea that everything is lateral and only moves its tendrils out within the rhizome and there is no hierarchy uh, is something that we should all reject because we're living in that world right now and this is what it looks like. And it's not, the problem is not the like, the, the lack of achievement for me. It's just a matter of, there's nothing that, like it seems like the rhizome is just kind of like, well, we just met another mushroom. And then it's just like, it's just grow the growth, exponential growth in, in that kind of network system hasn't actually built a, a different kind of structure above above the ground. Things just get entrenched deeper and we're just have a deeper root system, but that doesn't mean any newness. Right. We've, we've lost, in that metaphor, we've lost sight of the ground. We've lost sight of the sky. I mean, you, we are all just the shadows trapped in the cave right now. We're just looking at that. The problem is that we know that we're doing that because that's all of this is not to say that like postmodernity or, you know, rhizomatic logic or whatever is, or rhizomatic structure is not a good modeling of the situation. It might be, but it also has destructive potential that starts to, you know, black out the sky. It veils the rest of the world from you. You get too caught up in this expanding system of roots and now you're underground and you don't know where you started. No, you're stuck in the catacombs. And you don't know where to go. Yeah. Um, and that's a really depressing feeling. It's a depressing feeling as an artist. It's a depressing feeling like as a, as a world citizen. It sucks. And at least these things used to stop at national boundaries before. You know, you mm. could go to a new place that had a different culture than you have. But yeah. like, that's not a thing anymore. As aside from minor differences, I mean, global hegemony is real. It's one thing. Hong Kong doesn't look that different from New York. Yeah, I mean, you'll still have, you know, prets on every corner. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know... Right, it looks different architecturally because those things take a long time to build. So you're left with the, with the, you know, this is interesting. Maybe like people in the 19th century and before that used to obsess over making paintings of Roman ruins. Um, and we always think of how interesting is that, right? That you could have lived in a time where the civilization preceding you had greater achievement than your current civilization had. Uh and now we think that that's impossible, that society keeps advancing, but our ruins are right in, from, in front of us. Every building on our block right now is from 1900, but it doesn't have the charm of being from 1900. It doesn't have the meaning or significance. And the new buildings that are cropping up just look like garbage. Condo buildings yeah. don't give you an architectural sensibility that tells you, wow, this is the future. We're heading there. You just get a grid of mirrored glass panels again and again and again. Well, you're getting the shitty Corbusier building where it's like, it's public housing, yay. But it's You're also getting the corporate concrete. version yeah. of that. You know, this is a thing that Peter Halley would write about in, in the 80s. The reason that they put mirrored glass on all these buildings is because you're not supposed to be able to see into them. Yeah. It's like this Foucault idea that you are veiling the secret corporate power. Behind those walls are the mainframes and the operators of the global financial system that runs your life. And the people that inhabit the condos are the minions of these same people. So they ref their buildings reflect what their overlords want. Mm. And I so mean, yeah, all but, you yeah. see around, sorry, I'm going on and on, but all you see around you are as a vision of the future is uh, domination, which you have no access to. Well, yeah, I was noticing this on uh, on Bond Street today. Because, like, Bond or Hoyt, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
but like all of the like new buildings down down there which you know downtown brooklyn there's a lot of historic sites right but then you have these like i see this like i'm gonna say late 20 early some early 30 something dude in like athleisure roll out of a very expensive apartment but then when you look in the ones that are low they all just look like dorms because they're poorly furnished and there's no sense of taste no like i think yeah i did point out to you like that one that has a rack with three t-shirts on it right the person doesn't even have the dignity of a closet yeah yeah to like no or uh, again what that shows is the knowledge of like we don't put that against the window for the world to see your dirty laundry right and to that person it doesn't occur to them that that is um in affront to everyone on the street as well as to their own dignity yeah they don't see it that way they don't have time for it largely i mean these are the same people that have no consideration of the advertisements that surround them or the political campaign ad uh that's a picture of sunglasses and converse they accept it as it is that this is the only way their options have been foreclosed to such an extent that they accept intuitively that it couldn't be different. That you should aspire to this They've drywall ach- box. And, and the reason that their lives internally are, you know, they're all going to therapy is that at the end of the day, that's incredibly alienating. Yeah. To achieve the aspiration that you've never bothered to think about and then get there and realize you don't even have a closet. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, d- I think I think can at I the share end of- a fun fact. Sure, fun fact about the UN building when it was first built. I, I did some label reading. I'm not one to do that, but um, it was the first uh, glass curtain, right? Uh-huh. Very first one, which again symbolic of like the world being able to see, you know, on you know, whatever. Um, but it was prone to so much leaking that they had to refinish it within 20 years leaking and like heat transfer like it was basically just a giant magnifying glass on the east river yeah yeah which is kind of funny it's like well if you want to see out you're gonna have to have some pain and some some droopies i mean this happened this happened to a lot of architecture of that period oh, yeah, I mean, as you know it's like every frank lloyd wright house is like not very structurally sound i mean falling water is all cantilevered and like they have to repair it constantly because you know having running water going under like cast concrete it's a terrible it idea. It's really stupid. Yeah, yeah, going through the living room, you know. So, you know, I don't know. That that's just a that's another side of the same coin that like yes, you can have these beautiful uh modernist visions of like our Jetsons future, but even with the most careful consideration available to you at the time, like entropy is the golden rule. Like you get to watch those decay and it's sort of back to the ruins thing where they're just around us and we attempt to restore them rather than letting them fall apart. Yeah. At best. Or we demolish them intentionally to make way for the glass prison conduits. Yeah. Which that'll be, <laughs> you know, based on what happened in the past couple of days, that'll be Soho. Yeah. Canal, most of Canal will have new condos on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all this. Like it's, it's interesting. We kind of talked about this last time when we were talking about my move. Because you're going to get to live in New York, uh, and everybody always thinks, like, oh, I want to go back to the gritty days of New York. And we were talking about how you're going to get to live through this sort of transition, um, but maybe not reap the rewards of it. Uh, this transition is going to be weird, because it's not going to be the 70s, where they let things dilapidate and they run out of money. The, they will turn everything into condos instead. 
Which is worse. So your entire city will get turned into a, a Jamba Juice, and on the outskirts of it will be slums. Yeah. I mean, this is, we already see yeah, this yeah. in the Middle East and other places, Singapore. Like, that's the future. <sighs> but who knows? I don't know. I, 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 this has been a pretty black-pilled conversation, I guess, all things considered. It, it's just interesting to me to hear from you the angle that you wish that something could kind of break through or something, you know, that there could be some sort of development that would gesture towards something other than the inevitable. Well, I just, this is why I get frustrated with the, like, you know, the banality of that kind of aesthetic in the world being something championed. I'm I'm very, like, oh, that's where we're at. Like, I get frustrated with that because I want more. I just want more for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think everybody does, but uh, and nobody knows what to do. I, yeah. At the end of the day, if you are frustrated by that, like this is the whole conversation around not caring about politics anymore. It's like if you are really truly frustrated by it, because I am too. The thing to do is not get intensely pathologically focused on it. Yeah. You can't look at the graphic design around you and be like, God, this is where we are. You you gotta like. I think the first step is simply ignoring all of this stuff and it loses a little bit of its authority, at least over you. Yeah. And then if that happens to enough people, we can worry about coordinating. But for now, just take care of yourself. That sounds like a one of those ads. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Tend. Go to the tennis, but it's soft. All right. Um, that was an hour, right? Oh, yeah. We can stop. All right. All right. Signing off. Bye-bye.